the genius of gratitude. That's what we're here to talk about today. I'm so glad to be with you. Again, I'm Dion. I'm one of the pastors. I want to welcome you if you're here, especially if this is your first time. I know uh, coming to a church for the first time can be a little intimidating. I'm glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, we also want to welcome you. Uh, glad that you're joining us. We'd love to see you in person sometime soon. Um, you know, given that this is the weekend after Halloween, and given that I'm a dad with young kids in my house, that means for me, it has been a weekend of pillaging my kids' candy. Anyone else relate? You know, in spite of myself, I found myself doing it. But um, what I'm really looking for as I pillage their candy is I'm looking for the most genius candy concoction ever made. Do you know what I'm talking about? Reese's, wait for it, peanut butter cups, right? Anyone else? Yay for Reese's peanut butter cups. Um, genius, right? Whoever thought of, of taking peanut butter, which is just a blessed substance, and coating it with chocolate and putting in that little cute wrapper, and man, genius, absolutely genius. Uh, if you disagree, or even if you agree, right now, in fact, what, just let's get this out of the way. I don't want you hung up on this the whole service. If you want to advocate for your favorite genius candy, turn to the person next to you, tell them your favorite kind of candy. Go ahead, do that right now. Favorite Halloween candy. It's not Reese's, it's something else. Go ahead, tell them. Tell them. Just in, in the sake of transparency, I won't turn down one of those hundred grand candy bars either. Never once will I turn one of those down. Those are really good too. Um, but you know, so, so there's genius in candy making and we've all got our favorites. There's genius though really all over the world. People who are, who are innovators, who are doing incredible things. Things that make life better or more interesting. And it's not just about candy, certainly not. Uh, how many of you have heard of the website lifehack.org? Or, or seen uh, life hacks out there on Facebook? We're floating around on Pinterest or some other place. These are, these are ideas about using just ordinary things in life for absolutely genius ends. So we'll start off with Christmas. I know we're moving, we're just past Halloween, but Christmas will be here before you know it. And then after that, before you know it, you'll be taking down all your Christmas decorations. You know, when you've got those Christmas decorations, those, those glass bulbs, ever wonder what you should do with those? Well, we'll take a look at this. You can take one of those, um, those containers where you get apples in, just a big waste of plastic. I don't know why they make those things. Except, now you can save them, and you can put your Christmas bulbs in there, right? Absolutely genius. Or, or how about this? You like to make pancakes? Want to do some fancy pancake art? No spill pancakes? Take a look at this. Take an old ketchup bottle, fill it up with pancake batter. Please wash it first. No one wants your ketchupy pancakes, right? Um, fill, fill it up first, uh, and then you can, you, know, you can write your name in cursive if you want. You can, you can have fun with, with uh, pancake batter. Again, genius. Or how about this, you know, you're, you're doing your next fall bonfire on a chilly night and you don't have enough kindling to get that fire started. Do you know that you can use Doritos? Because, of course, you always have Doritos on you at all times, right? I mean, it may be too hard to find some, you know, leaves or sticks, but for sure you can find some Doritos. <laughs> it's just wrong, isn't it? I mean, what is it about Doritos that's so flammable? Uh... This just doesn't seem right. We should, not, we should not be eating these things if it can burn up so easily. Like gasoline, is that what makes the Cool Ranch so cool? I mean, just who knows? Who knows? So, uh, but anyway, you can use Doritos. I mean, again, I never would have thought of that, but if I ever find myself in that position, it's, it's absolutely genius. Or what about this? You know, you know how those things come in, those blister packs, those really hard plastic containers, and you're trying to get them open, and they're sealed up on the sides, and, you know, you, you can, like, lose a pint of blood by lacerating yourself trying to get those things open. Look at this, genius. 
You can use a can opener to open blister packs and not slice your fingers off. So you can get out your, you know, whatever it is in there and save all of your fingers. I find that genius. Or, or last one, how about this? Um, wondering if those batteries you found in a drawer are good. Here's an experiment. You can take them about six inches above a surface. You drop them. They just kind of hit once and then fall over. It says, I've not tried this. I'm taking this by, you can try this this week and tell me if it's a lie and then I'll issue an apology. But you can try this. Um, if they just kind of fall over, that means they're good. They're full. If they bounce around a bunch, they're real bouncy. That means they're not good. So if that works... That's genius, especially if you have kids who are, you know, crying because their toy isn't working and you're trying to find some batteries in your house, robbing the remote controls, you can find some that work. Pure genius. So, you know, in our culture, we celebrate genius. Genius is everywhere, and some of that stuff is pure genius. Some of that stuff you may just think is silly. But what about gratitude? Gratitude? Is that genius? For most of us, we don't think gratitude is genius. I think for most of us, we think gratitude is a virtue. It's a value. It's something that you do if you want to be polite, if you want to be well-mannered. It's something we're taught to have or to, to emulate in our lives or to, or to try to pursue in our lives. But we don't really know why. It certainly doesn't seem helpful. It doesn't seem life-changing. It doesn't seem genius. But as it turns out, the more we study gratitude and its effects on human life, we're discovering that gratitude is sheer genius. Uh, I recently read an article just this last week. It's called The Neuroscience of Why Gratitude Makes Us Healthier. And uh, there are these two researchers down at the University of Texas Health Science Center who uh, did a bunch of research on gratitude and how it affects the rest of life. And here's how they summarized their research. They said this. They said, A growing body of research shows that gratitude is truly amazing in its physical and psychosocial benefits. Now, for a long time, we just kind of thought, you know, preachers talked about this stuff, or self-help gurus talked about this, or hippies talked about this stuff. But it turns out that medically, scientifically, there is a growing body of research that shows that gratitude is truly amazing in its physical and psychosocial benefits. So specifically, I want to show you some of the things that we're discovering that gratitude brings into your life. Gratitude is not just a standalone virtue. We're discovering that it has huge effects in the rest of your life. So, so in these studies, they found that grateful people are, they're happier. Well, that makes sense. They're also, uh, they report fewer health complaints than people who are less grateful. They exercise more. Grateful people demonstrate more pro-social Motivation, that means um, that they're more likely to, to put themselves out there emotionally for someone else, to help someone who's going through a hard time, to serve others, to volunteer, to, to commit acts of goodwill towards other people. So grateful people are more likely to do all these things, and there's more. They're, they're more likely to sleep better each night. They're less depressed. And grateful people have better marriages. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. You might be thinking, okay, you know research, and you're like, is, is this a correlation or is this a causation? I mean, if, if you're sleeping better each night and you're not depressed and you have a good marriage and you exercise, doesn't that stuff just kind of make you grateful? So, so which affects which? Well, it's interesting. I'm, you know, I'm sure if all these things are going well in your life, you're probably more grateful, but not necessarily. But what they're finding in research is that if, if they can increase your gratitude quotient— through some of the th- things that we're even going to talk about today, if, if, if you can increase your level of gratefulness, if you can become more thankful in your life, then these things actually get better. 
So when you become more grateful, you start sleeping better. When you become more grateful, you become less depressed. When you become more grateful, you have a better marriage. When you become grateful, you'll start exercising more. You'll start evidencing more pro-social behavior. All of those things become greater in your life when you start to tweak your level of gratitude. So say it with me. Gratitude is genius. That's the word we're looking for. Genius. Play some hangman up here or something. Um, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. Some of you are not convinced. You just showed me. You don't think it's genius. And uh, some of you think, okay, fine. That, that's fine and good. I get it. But I'm just not a grateful person. Right? That's how some of us think. We think, it's just not possible for me to be grateful or it's not easy for me to be grateful. I know some people just, they just kind of come into the world and they're grateful and, and that's not me. Well, if that's how you're thinking today as we're talking about this already, you're thinking, oh, great. I get it. See, for years, I just kind of made the assumption that I was not a grateful person. That's just not how I was born. I mean, after all, I'm from Michigan. They don't, they don't make us grateful up there. It's too cold. Uh, it's, it's too dark. It's, you know, man, it's hard to be grateful for Michigan. I actually think they put cynicism in the drinking water in Michigan. Um, and so that's where I grew up, and I just thought, you know what, I, I, I can't be that. I'm not one of those people. I spent a year in Minnesota, and Minnesota, they're kind of known for being nice. They're nice, grateful people, and that's why I only lived there for a year. I just couldn't make it. I couldn't cut it there. I'm like, this doesn't work for me. I was born in the wrong place. You know, just my, my makeup's different. My personality, it just, it just doesn't accept being grateful. But here's what I'm discovering. I'm discovering that a life without gratitude is really not a very fun life to live. And I'll spare you the details of how I'm figuring this out, but, but I'm, I'm discovering this personally, that living without gratitude makes all of the rest of life not very fun to live. And, and maybe that's what you're discovering too. Uh, maybe today even, as I shared with you some of these things up here on the screen, some of the effects, some of the other effects of gratitude in your life, maybe as you were looking at that list, you saw a thread that you've never noticed before. Because you know that there are a bunch of things that are not right in your life, and you never link them in your life to being more grateful. And here's the good news. We can change this about ourselves. We can change this about our church. The Apostle Paul, I think, is a guy who changed this in his own life. Now, if you know Paul, great. If you don't know Paul, um, Paul was the leader, really, of the New Testament church after Jesus died and was raised again from the dead and ascended back into heaven. Paul became the leader of the New Testament movement. Paul was, was uh, you know, just zealous for the gospel. He was, a, he was a prolific writer. He wrote most of the New Testament books. We're going to look at one of them today. But Paul, early in his life, was not a grateful person. I mean, by all record that we can tell, Paul was not a happy guy. Paul was, was a curmudgeon. He was Taliban. He was militant. He was not happy. He was not grateful. But then some point in adulthood, things changed. And what changed was that he met Jesus, and, and it changed his life. Now, I know when I say that to, to those of you in the room who are not Christians, you're thinking, exactly, that's why I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want to change in some weird way. What if I, be, you know, what if I just become odd? What if I'm less of myself? Let me reassure you, Paul didn't change personality-wise. He was still really smart. He was still really driven. He kind of had an edge to him. He was, a, he was a sharp guy. He was a go-getter. But at the same time, he became a better version of himself. Paul became a little kinder, a little gentler. He became more grateful. Started living a little more at peace with himself. 
And as a result of this, Paul becomes passionate about the subject of gratitude. You can hardly read one of the letters that Paul wrote in the Bible and not have him mention thanks or thanksgiving or gratitude somewhere in there. He discovered it was a powerful thing in his life. And so today we're going to look at just one of the places where Paul talks about gratitude. We're going to look at the book of Philippians. So this was a letter that Paul wrote to some Christians in a a place called Philippi. So it's called the letter to the Philippians. Chapter 4, starting at verse 4. You can look on the screen. You can look in your Bible. You can look on your smartphone uh, by going to uversion.com. Um, so uh, Philippians 4, verse 4, he starts off this way. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always? <laughs> really? Rejoice in the Lord always? Well, that's easy for you to say, right? It's easy for you to say, especially if you're the kind of person who has everything go well for you in life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, that might be easy when you just moved into a bigger house because, you know, your husband or wife got a a, a new big job. That might be easy for you to say if your kids are so cute that every time you go to the mall, people are like begging you to let your kids model for Baby Gap. I mean, some of you have kids that are that cute. It may be easy for you to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Or, Or when you're planning your next vacation to Turks and Caicos, wherever that is. Here it's fancy. You know, it's easy for you, if that's, if that's what your life is, to say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. But what about the rest of us? What about when it's not so easy? You know, what about when, when you're living in a house that's too small and you still feel like you can't afford it? Or what about when you haven't been on a, on a vacation in the last, you know, six years since, since Obama took the White House? I mean, no correlation there, just, just saying. It's just a history marker. You know, what, what if that's been you? What if it's your life? Or modeling, your kids modeling. What if the only modeling job your kids are ever going to get is as the before picture at the local orthodontist? You know, what if, what if that's the life you're looking at? Rejoice in the Lord always? Seriously, I hate people like that. You know people like that. They're always happy. They're always rejoicing. And you just say, come on, that's not real. That can't be real. And yet before you write Paul off here, If you know anything about his circumstances when he wrote the letter to the Philippians, Paul was not in a good place. His life was anything but ideal. In fact, rather than tell you, I want to show you, this is chapter 1 of Philippians, same letter just earlier on at the beginning. He describes his circumstances as he writes this. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Well, what's happened to him? What's going on? Well, he tells us. He says, as a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So this is what he says at the beginning. His circumstances are not ideal. Where is he as he writes this? He's in prison, right? Yeah, the chains, that's your, that's your hint. He's in prison, he's in jail. He's not in a good place when he's writing this letter. So later on, you know, a few chapters later, same letter, he's now saying, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And the guy is in prison. And it's not even because he's committed a crime. The only thing that Paul has done, the only thing that Paul has done is fall in love with Jesus and get really excited about telling other people about him. And so he started traveling the world saying, Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God in human flesh. He died, but God raised him again from the dead. And we have seen these things, and he can make your life unbelievable. 
if you trust in him. And for that message, for that witness, Paul got thrown in prison. Now, now if you're anything like me, I mean, th- this happens sometimes. You, you, you do something in life and you just feel like you're serving God. You're like, God, I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to do what's right. And then, and then life comes and it smacks you down. You ever had those moments? And you're thinking, you're thinking, God, what's going on here? I'm trying to serve you. Why are you making it difficult for me to do the right thing here? Why are you making it difficult for me to serve you? And, and so here's Paul. He's going around the world telling people about Jesus. And he ends up in prison. It would be so easy for Paul to be angry with God, saying, what has is, what is, what is following you gotten me in my life? And yet Paul isn't angry. He's grateful. How? I mean, how does this work? Because it certainly doesn't work this way in my life. And why? I mean, why would Paul choose to be grateful? Why would he, from prison, you know, with the the chain still clanging on his wrist as he's writing this letter, why would he end this letter and go, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Well, he explains it a little bit later in Philippians 4 about how this works and, and, and why this is, how he can have this perspective in his life. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. So we're back in Philippians 4. I kind of diverted there for a minute. We're back. So rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's coming back. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want to tread on what Steve Howard, our senior pastor, is going to say next week. He's going to be back talking about optimism and how that's a future-focused thing. But did you notice that as Paul is talking about anxiety in life, he's talking about difficulty in life, he says, as you're you're facing anxiety... As you're in difficulty in every situation, he says pray. But he doesn't just say pray... He says to pray with, say it with me, thanksgiving. Do you see how important gratitude is? Paul's saying again, he's saying, you know, in every situation when you're anxious, when you're struggling, don't just pray and say, God, help me, help me, please, Jesus, help me, help me. But, but add some thanksgiving in there. And when you do that, God's going to show up in your life in a, in a huge way. Now again, I know some of you are saying, Well, that's nice for Paul. He must be one of those grateful people. I get it. But that's just not me. But it can be you if you want to. See, that's the true genius of gratitude. It's not just that it has all these other great effects that I showed you at the beginning. And I mean, that's that's pretty genius. But but I think the true genius of gratitude is, is that it's available for all of us. It's not just for those people who are cheery and happy and who were born that way. See, the genius of gratitude is that it's actually a choice. It's a lifestyle. You can be grateful people if you want to be. You can have all of those benefits of gratitude in your life if you're willing to make the choice to have them. But I think a lot of us just simply don't want to make that choice. I mean, it fascinates me when I, when I meet two kids who grew up in the same house. And uh, sometimes they're even twins. And uh, I think two kids grew, grew up in the same house. Same parents, same upbringing, same family. And one grows up grateful and the other grows up bitter. You're like, these people have the same DNA. 
They've, they've experienced so many of the same things. What happened? Well, well I, I can't say definitively, but chances are what happened. One of them made a choice in their life that they were going to be grateful. And the other didn't. See, if you're sitting here today and you're just not a grateful person, or if gratitude seems trite to you or silly or naive, if you just simply haven't been aware until now of how powerful gratitude can be to affect every other part of your life, including your health, your relationships, and your all-around wellness, if this is new for you today, I want you to know that you can be more grateful if you make a decision to be. And what you need to know is that it can all begin today, it can all begin right now with perspective, getting the right perspective. Look at what Paul says, last verse here, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. You know, and here's what happens. We read these words and we're just kind of like, you know, okay, okay, okay. Listen to what he says. Again, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right and good, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, for Paul, he's telling us how this works, how this works in his own life and how it can work in our lives. He says it's about perspective. It's all about what you choose to focus on in your life. See, if you're sitting around and you're waiting for the perfect day, you know, the day where, where nothing goes wrong and there are, there's no pain and no mistakes or, you know, no red lights that take you too long and being late for work or whatever, if you're waiting for that perfect day to try on gratitude, you're going to wait forever. That's not how this works. See, what Paul is saying, and again, he's writing from prison, but what he's saying is he's saying, you know what, every day of your life that you live, There are things that are bad, that are crummy, that are difficult, that are frustrating, that are maddening. But there are also things that are pure and noble and lovely and true and right and good and excellent and praiseworthy. And Paul says something powerful happens when you focus on those things, when you put your perspective on those things. The question is, those things exist in your life today. Do you look for them? Can you see them? Or are you too busy being focused on the things that aren't going well? See, whether or not we're grateful people has a lot to do with what we choose to see in our lives. My sister, her name is Hyacinth. She's my older sister. Um, Yes, my parents were hippies. Uh, we were flowered, you know, they were flower children, and they named their child after a flower. They named her Hyacinth. I mean, it doesn't get much hippier than that. Um, but I, I've mentioned, I've talked to her about her before. She's my big sister. I love her to death. Um, and she's got four boys. Her third son is my nephew, Cullen. And Cullen was born, he had a stroke in utero, and he was born without large portions of his brain, which have left him developmentally disabled and severely physically disabled, and with a whole host of medical problems. Um, he's 16 now. And he's already lived much longer than, than uh, doctors initially expected. And yet they're saying that his life is probably coming to a close sometime soon. They haven't given a, a time frame, but they're saying he just can't survive long given what's going on in his body and some other medical complications. And, and so I've been watching for over 16 years. She knew there might be problems with him um, developmentally since before he was born. I've been watching for probably 17 years now as she struggled with this truth. 
And those of you in this room who've got kids who've got severe disabilities, or if you've got something like this going on in your family, you, you just know how heartbreaking this is. And then here I am, you know, I've got my three kids, and they're all healthy and just, you know, barely any cavities. I mean, just like living the dream over here. And here's my sister, and, uh, and, and she's struggling uh, with, with, with the health of her son, Cullen, just fighting for his life all the time. And I've watched over the last 17 years, as, as for most of that last 17 years, how, this, how she's just fought against bitterness and how this thing has often made her bitter. Just, just the frustration and the longing and the wishing and the desiring that her son's life could be different and that her life could be different. Uh, in fact, seven years ago, she went through a divorce. And, you know, marriage is complicated. Divorces are complicated. Um, but I, I came across a stat years ago, and I haven't verified it recently, um, but it said that, that somewhere in the neighborhood of 90% of parents who have children with severe disabilities divorce, that the divorce rate is up to 90% in that community. And, and so she went through a divorce for a number of reasons. And, um, and so um, this fall, in September, she actually called me in, in August, and, uh, and she says, I, I'm getting married, and she's been seeing this guy for a number of years, and he's a great man. He's got two boys, so together they have six teenage boys. Um, and he loves her, and, and he loves Cullen, and it's just really awesome to see. He cares for him really well, and uh, it's just been a great blessing in her life. And so she says, it's time for us to get married. Um, and so we were up there in September for her wedding. You know, it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome day. It's a blessing from God in a life that's, that's not always been easy. Well, the night before her wedding, a huge storm comes through. And it knocks out power to the entire region. And uh, that night, we, we kind of knew. We called the power company. And, you know, they're saying, the, the estimated time for the power to come back on is good luck. You know, it's, it's just not coming on anytime soon. You know, traffic lights out everywhere. Uh, major thing. So no power at her house. No power where we were having the reception. No power at the church. No power anywhere. And so we woke up in the morning and still no power. And uh, I just thought, you know what, this is, this is going to break her. Because here she is, she's, she's trying to get married, she's trying to have something good happen in her life, she's trying to just encounter God's blessing, and, and here comes this major storm, and power's out, and this is going to mess everything up, and I myself am going, God, what's going on here? Can you give her a break? And I can only imagine what she's thinking, because she's living through this. And so uh, we, we, we uh, talk in the morning, and I just say, hey, how are you doing? And she says, you know what, this is just my life. This is the way things go. And I fully expect that I knew where the rest of this conversation was going to go, but, but she said that. This is just my life. This is the way things go for me. But then she said this. She said, but you know, I'm marrying the man that I love, and our families get to come together, and you guys are here, and I'm surrounded by the people who matter the most to me, and it's, it doesn't matter what, if we have power or not or how we're going to do this. It's going to be a great day. And I thought, wait a minute. You're my big sister. I know you. You're not a grateful person. You're right? She's not, I knew she was not one of these people who were just like, no, it's going to be fine. I mean, that's, that's not us. That's not our family. That's not how we roll. That's not her. And that, and that I've been watching in her. At, at 40 you know, years old, she's making the shift in her life. And she's becoming a more grateful person. And I'll tell you what, for me, that, that really challenges me. It convicts me because I'm looking at the life she's leading, living, and, and the difficulty she's encountering. And I'm thinking, my life is difficult, but it's no way near so difficult as hers. I've not had to walk through the things that she's had to walk through. So if she can choose gratitude in her life, when the power's out on her wedding day after, you know, a bunch of other tragedy in her life, then, then why, what's wrong with me? What's keeping me from focusing on all the things in my life that are pure and good and noble and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? What's keeping me focusing on the things that aren't working right rather than all of the blessings of God in my life every day? See, if you want to change 
that. If, if you're like me and you want to change that, if you want to experience those other genius things that gratitude can bring into your life, then the first thing you need to do is you need to get the right perspective on your past. You know, I love those pictures up there on the center screen, um, you know, with, with an old picture and they take it to a modern place. It just says something to me about having perspective on our past. And the truth is that a lot of us, we don't have a healthy perspective on our past and, and that keeps us from being grateful now. Now, I know that some of us didn't have ideal pasts and we've lived through hard things. But that doesn't have to stop you. You know, as I mentioned, two kids grow up in the same house and one turns out grateful, one turns out bitter. How? Uh, I've talked to parents who've, uh, who've lost children. We've had several in our church who've lost children. It's just one of the most heartbreaking things I can imagine. And yet, yeah, I've watched as some parents who lose children find a way to celebrate the time they had with their child and to celebrate the life that was given no matter how long. And some just cannot let go of the bitterness and the frustration and the anger that their child was denied the rest of their life. And, and I get that. I was talking to a guy just this last week. He's a guy whose family has gone through some significant crisis in the last few years. Uh, they went through a crisis so big that it really, it really changed their family forever. Uh, and just brought a lot of difficulty into their family. And uh, I was talking to him about all this and his perspective on the issue. And, uh, and he said, you know what, if I had a time machine and I could go back and I could, I could undo that, that crisis, I wouldn't. Even though my life is harder today, even though that would make things easier, he's like, the way that God showed up in my life and what God has done and brought as a result of all of this, the way he showed his goodness in spite of this, he's like, I, I would never want to trade in the goodness of God for the hardship that I'm now living in. See, I don't care how hard your past is. I don't care how awful it's been. Actually, that's not true. I, I do care. And, I, and I'm sorry that there's hard things in your past and there's hard things in my past. And I know those things can be painful and they can be difficult to move on from. But, but hear me, those things don't have to go on defining the rest of your life. Even though there may have been hard things in your past, it's all about your perspective it's all about what you choose to focus on because I guarantee that even in the hardest of your past, there are things there that God has put there that are, that are pure and lovely and noble and, and excellent and lovely and praiseworthy and admirable. You've just got to begin to focus on those things, find those things and focus on them instead of focusing on all the pain and all of the wrong and all of the injustice. So you need to change your perspective Especially if your past is, is something that's keeping you from being grateful in your present. And then after you do that, you've got to get the right perspective on your present. You've got to get the right perspective on today. And again, I, I know we come in here in different circumstances, different situations. Some of us are going through really hard things. There's economic trouble, there's job loss, there's marriage trouble, relationships are broken. You're struggling with a health issue. I get it. Maybe your present doesn't look so great right now. But honestly, it really is all about how you see it. I'm not telling you to be all Pollyanna or, or bury your head in the sand. That's not what gratitude is. Gratitude only works. It only has those other positive effects in your life when it's real. But even today, in the midst of your hardship, there are things to be glad about if you look for them. I mean, Paul was in prison 
And yet he said, there's a reason for me to rejoice. Are your circumstances so bad that there's nothing today that you can rejoice in? See, I know this may sound trite or it might sound pat or it might sound like something a pastor should say. But even if everything else is wrong in your life, today can you simply rejoice in Jesus? Can you be grateful for him? For the fact that he loved you so much that he gave his life for you to win you forgiveness and approval by God? I mean, today can you just be grateful that that Jesus has claimed you, that you are now marked and adopted into God's family, that you've got a hope and a future, that, that you can have life to the full now and forever? I mean, can you be grateful that, that in Jesus you've got a companion, you've got someone to walk with you through life, even if what you're walking through is hard, you are not alone, he is walking with you, and he's got power and might beyond your imagination that he can leverage on your behalf because he loves you, that you are not forsaken, you are not alone? Can you just dwell on that today and be glad about that today? See, finally, what Paul says is, he says this, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. I think the reason so often church doesn't change anything in our lives is maybe because the preacher isn't any good, but maybe it's because what we see and hear and listen and learn about, we, we don't actually put it into practice. See, you're never going to become a grateful person by just listening to messages, The way you'll become a grateful person is by making a choice today and tomorrow and the next day to change your perspective on your past and on your present, to begin to look for those things that God has planted in your life that are pure and lovely and noble and good and all the rest. And when you begin to do that, when you begin to practice gratitude in your life, things will change. I love how Paul puts this. He says, when you put these things into practice, then the God of peace will be with you. See, it's not just about what we hear, it's not just about what we learn, it's about what we actually put into practice in our life that makes the difference. And, and so when we can begin to practice gratitude, God will bring his abundance into our lives in a huge way. So, so I want to end really quickly today with three things, three ways you can put this into practice. And I'm just going to beg you to write this down. Or if you've got a great memory, fine, commit this to memory. But if you put these things into practice, I promise you, it will change your life. These things will make you a more grateful person and you can have all the other things that gratitude begins to bring into your life if you're willing to actually put these into practice. So the first thing, keep a daily journal of three to five things you're thankful for. Now, I know it's November and out on social media, people are going to be doing this all over the place and it might annoy you. You don't want to be one of those people. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's a bad idea. In fact, writing three to five things down every day, maybe from your past that you're grateful for, or even from your present, it will change your perspective. This is how you change your perspective when you begin to look for those things and you begin to dwell on those things that are pure, lovely, noble, excellent, praiseworthy, admirable, and all the rest. That's how your perspective begins to shift and you begin to see life differently and you begin to have more gratitude in your life. It's truly powerful. So I'm going to challenge you to do this. Uh, To pair with this, at least on weekends you can do this. Out there in the lobby, you may have seen when you came in that there's graffiti all over our windows. That's intentional. There are markers all over out there. And uh, we're, we're turning those into gratitude windows 
and we just want you to go out there after the service or maybe even next week before you come in. It'll be up there all month. We're just going to keep adding things that we're grateful for. And if you have to write on top of someone else's stuff, that's okay because we're going to testify to the fact that we are blessed people. We are thankful people. We are grateful people in this place and that God is good and we are celebrating it here. Okay? Write those things down. The next thing, tell a family member, spouse, friend, even coworker something you appreciate about them every day. You know, you can write those things down, but it's really powerful when you speak some of those things in the life of another person. So find someone in your life that you can speak something affirming to every day. Not only will that help you be more grateful for that person, you know, if you're, if you're sitting next to someone today and this person is getting on your last nerve, you know, it's a family member, it's a spouse, try this, try this. It will change your heart. Because as you're speaking it, not only will it do something in you, but it will do something in them. It's truly powerful. And then last, you know, as you're, as you're brushing your teeth in the morning or as you're doing your hair or makeup in the mirror and you're looking at yourself, do this. Think about something you have done well recently or something you like about yourself. Now, I know this sounds like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? I mean, this feels just, this feels silly, this feels, this feels the opposite of humble, but that's not the case at all. See, see, you will not be able to cultivate gratitude in your life. You will not have the right perspective or focus if you believe that you never do anything right. To be sure, we're all sinful people and we make plenty of mistakes, but when you begin to recognize that God's spirit is at work in your life and that God is using you for good things in the world— that you can make a difference in the world. You can add joy to someone else's life. You can bring good things into the world because of God who lives in you. When you start to realize that, and when you start to speak that, and you start to look for that in your life, it will increase your level of gratitude about what God is doing, not just around you, but also in and through you. See, the point is gratitude won't just happen. It has to be practiced. And so this week, it's all about practicing a new perspective, living life with a different perspective, focusing on the things that are pure and noble and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy. So you can be grateful. It's not beyond your grasp. And you can have all the other things that, the other genius things that gratitude brings into your life. So let's pray for that right now. Father, thank you for being so good. Thanks for being good all the time even when we don't realize it or appreciate it or notice it or speak our thanks back to you. Thanks, thanks for never stopping in your goodness for us. Father, thank you for the good things you're putting in our lives today even. And I just pray, Father, that you give us the eyes to see those things. Help us to have the right perspective in life that is looking for your activity, that is looking for the things that are pure and good, not the things that are wrong, not the things that are, that are scary, not the things that are heartbreaking, but to look for the things that you are doing in our life that are noble and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. God, help us to see those things and help us to speak about those things and foster in us a sense of gratitude and all the other blessings that it brings. I pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please rise.